Um, so we're in Ephesians 6 tonight. Hopefully, like I said, we'll get through this whole chapter together. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. It is true. It is a light under our path, lamp under our feet. We are just grateful to have it. We're grateful to live according to it, that you give us power to do that. Um, we recognize, Lord, that your word is living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, God, which is very, very capable to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. God, it's, it's able to judge and the intents of the heart. And so we come to it humbly. We come to it reverently. We come to it expecting, expectantly that you will just change our lives through the study of it. And uh, I pray that you would just use um, this vessel, God, to, uh, to do it justice. Lord, we just know it's a, it's a treasure far beyond anything of the world. So we just thank you for it, that it resides in our laps even tonight. It's just a gift from you, grace. And so we just give you this night as we study it, Lord, tune our hearts. Let us be alert and attentive to what you want to speak to us, God. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So let's read it together. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service or as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with the good will doing with goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or he's free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So that's, that's Paul's uh, final greeting, final departure greeting, the last of his letter. 
Can you imagine as Paul kind of penned those last few words and he knows he's going to hand it to his messenger and it's going to uh, deliver it to the Ephesian church? Kind of, kind of. You know, I don't, I'm not picturing Paul as a, of a clamp kind of emotional guy necessarily, but I think there's something of just penning those letters that he knows is going to be a blessing before he sends it off. You know, it's full of the gospel, so how could it not be a blessing to those that are going to receive it? So he's, he's just kind of finally putting, hey, you know, this Tychicus, he's, he's a faithful brother. He's going to comfort you. He's going to give, a, give you the update of how we're doing. I know you care for me, and that's a lovely thing. I appreciate that. This brother's going to encourage you. He's, in fact, he's, it says he's going to comfort you with what report he brings to you. And so you can just kind of picture as Paul's there um, under house arrest, some would say even chained to a Roman soldier, that he's not free. He's not able to go deliver it to himself. He's not able to continue um, his work in the Lord as far as missionary capacity, as far as traveling to the Ephesians. But he's, he's sending this letter, and he's, that last kind of word, maybe not he wasn't the one necessarily writing it. He had some people to do that for him. But he nonetheless was finishing it up. And you kind of just get the sense, it's like, man, a little choked up feeling that, man, how did Paul feel like finishing up this letter and, and then sending it off? Like just, just knowing the Lord had, I have a sense that Paul really knew he was under the anointing of God when these words were uttered and, and he was sending off not just a you know, common uh, greeting card or hallmark, hallmark type of greeting, but he knew he was sending his life. You know, he was sending his passion. He was sending everything in the world that meant anything to him. And he knew he was eventually probably going to die because of, he's just like sending it saying, Lord, let it be a blessing to the people that receive it. You know, you just kind of feel like, man, there's weight to this. There's treasure in this. There's, there's, a, there's people that have paid with their lives literally to, so that we could have these in our laps and actually live it and study it and let it get into us. And so I just wonder, like, wow, what must have been for Paul to get to the end of these letters, especially like Ephesians, and, and just send it off. Like, Lord, do your will through it. Lord, you led me to pen it. Lord, you, you, you led me to cover the gospel in great detail. And, uh, and I just want it to be a blessing to the hearers. And here we are, 2,000 years later, thereabouts. And we're like, Lord, thank you for this letter. Lord, thank you for the gospel. Lord, thank you for putting it on Paul's heart to write it, even when he's in prison, as a joy to himself, just saying, I'm in prison because of you. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in change because I want you to be blessed. I want you to be um, filled with the Spirit the Lord that saved you. I want you to understand the gospel. And, and uh, here we are studying the same thing. And we're so, I mean, I've been encouraged. I hope you have been too. I'm confident you have. How could you not, knowing that God loves you to this degree, that it's by grace that you've been saved, not by works. So no one can boast, you know, that, that God has works in store for you to walk in them. He performed or he prepared beforehand. That you would know that there's nothing in your life that's necessarily attracting God's favor. It's all God's favor, despite the real you and the core that's selfish and kind of quick to judge and live a life like a sheep that kind of wanders. I mean, that's, that's just us celebrating what God's done through this letter. So the final kind of things he's going to cover, we're going to cover tonight, are really, really profound. Some of us might make the mistake of saying this last section, there's kind of like, I'll put a pause on my attention span because it talks about children and and their parents. Um, you guys are adults. It's been a while probably since you had to kind of hear, if you guys were raised in a church or in Sunday school, this, this verse was quoted a lot for you, I'm sure. Obey your parents. Obey your parents. You know, it's God's will. Obey, obey your parents. But then you actually moved out of the house or you, you kind of separated into adulthood, um, figuratively speaking, from your parents and you took on a role as an adult. So when you get to these kind of passages that talks about children and parents, you're like, oh, 
not, not a parent yet, and I'm no longer a child, so that doesn't apply to me. Let's get on to the sword of the Spirit. The problem with doing that is we miss something major that, that I think Paul, uh, that God used Paul to write about. And then the next part is the bondservant master. I'm not a slave, so what does this have to do with me? I'm not a, I'm not a master. What does this have to do with me? We don't have slavery anymore. What does this have to do with me? How is it relevant? So we're going to talk about those things. So I encourage you not to check out because these are very, very significant. I'll show you why. How it has to do with the gospel like everything else in this book. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. It's in these passages too. So let's start out with just talking about, first of all, children, obey your parents in the Lord, okay? Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. This is, in the Amplified, he would say, this is just and right. This is righteous um, that you would obey your parents. And that word obey in the Greek, hupa kouo, which is basically to hear under a subordinate, listen attentively, heed or conform to the command or authority that you're under. That applies to, to you and me, right? Who's the authority you're under? Who's, who's the master of, of, who is your Lord? Who are you, who are you a child of? Okay, first your earthly existence being your parents so he's like it this is an extension right of the gospel you're to live out there's order to this just like the husband and wife but moreover you're a child of the father who is jesus is the lord of your life he saved you he owns you and we're going to get into why in just a second but he's basically saying this is very consistent Earthly, you know, I could bring up other people like I did last week, but just say this is a child, this is the church. <laughs> child has a parent, church has a parent. Child has a father, church has a father. All of us are in the church, all of us are included in this. Our father is God. And we obey him, we are, are put under his authority, his commandments, right? Repeatedly in scripture he says, obey my commandments. He has everything to say, I am your father, you are my children, I want you to listen to me, obey me. And listen attentively to what I have to say to you in the Word of God, which has been passed down through. That's the legacy of having the Word of God. We're able to say, this is what my Father wants from me and from my life. It's like children, obey your parents uh, in the Lord, for this is just or this is right. Okay, He's basically saying, children, collectively, saints, you have a Father. Obey Him. But children, earthly, just as you would obey your Father, children, you have a season of life where you're under authority, God-given authority, which is your parents. And it's right to obey them. It's right to, to seek to live under their authority and listen attentively to them. I really resonate as a parent with this because I want my kids to listen um, to me because I don't want them to be what? To be uh, running in traffic. I don't want them to eat cyanide. I don't want them to kind of just play with knives and do this on the table with their little brother who's six. Okay, I don't want that to happen because I love them. I want them to be safe. I want them to prosper. I want them to have a future. I want them to choose wisely. I want them to have a really great wife one day. Okay, my, my heart is for their benefit, and that's why I give them commandments. That's why I give them my authority and expect them to abide by it because I want what's best for them. And um, here Paul's going to talk about next bond servants or masters. And he's basically saying not all masters want the welfare or the benefit of their slaves. There's abusive um, masters out there, but parents, parents love their children, and thus the children should be rightfully submissive to them. Remember, just a little, last week we had submission in 
uh, in, on display with husband and wife. I willfully submit as a wife to my husband. Why? Because he is honoring the Lord with submission to the Lord, and thus he's trustworthy to do that. Parents, if they're, trust, if they're trusted in obedience to the Lord, they're going to be very good parents, most likely to their children, and the children can obey. But we are all children of the Father, and we have a choice to listen attentively, to submit to his authority, to say yes and amen to the things that God wants for our lives, and no to the things he doesn't want. Okay? So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he quotes uh, a passage here, and he says, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. Here's the promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. That honor has, has an implication in it. And this is, this is worth noting. Um, the honor is you estimate and value it as precious. Okay? You estimate and you value as precious. Who or whom? Your father and your mother. You're saying, God has given me this gift. I'm, I'm valuing it. It's beyond just like getting a list of rules and kind of checking them off. It's, I value who's giving them to me, and thus I want to please them. Same with the Lord, right? Same with the Lord. You guys are young adults. You're young professionals. You, you could be very successful in your career. You want to estimate and value as precious the commandments of the Lord. You want to estimate and value as precious. Precious is, is just what it connotes. You are, denotes, you are, you are, you are in possession of something with immeasurable value which is your faith in the Lord. So you're going to honor them. And it will, what, go well with you. You're going to prosper. Guys, when you walk with the Lord, when you set your life towards the Lord, when you obey His commandments, you're going to prosper in what you do. You're just going to prosper in a healthy marriage. You're going to prosper as parents. You're going to prosper as friends. You're going to prosper as roommates. You're going to prosper as employees. You're going to prosper as leaders. You're going to prosper as servants in the body. That's what happens when you honor, when you esteem and value your father and set your sights to live for Him. And when you don't, we all know what happens when you don't. Because we've all said, okay, God, I know your commandments, but I'm turning this way away from them. We all know what that feels like, what the consequences are. I don't have to go into all those things. Um, even a couple weeks ago when, when Nick was sharing, or last week actually, we were just I was just thinking about that. You know, there's, there's definite consequence to our sin. And sometimes we just wish, man, I wish I could go back in time and just re- be reminded there of the value of what I have in the Lord. Because if I, if I kept that in mind, the likelihood of sin has decreased significantly. You know, when you're valuing and you're estimating in value as precious, your relationship with the Lord, man, it keeps you a, a pretty far from sin in most cases. And thus, you prosper. Okay, thus you prosper. That's a, that's a, a quote from Deuteronomy 5.16. And it, it's a... In that Deuteronomy 5, he's kind of recounting the Ten Commandments again. But he adds that kind of comment. It's like, honor your father and mother, which is in Ten Commandments through Moses. He's like, so um, we'll go well with you. So there's an order that God set up for us as, as people. By the way, some would ask, how long do I honor my father and mother in an earthly sense? Like, do I have to do what they want me to do? And it's interesting, when you're still single, and you're on your own, and you're working full-time, and you're like, you know, they still have input in my life, I'm not married, quote-unquote, how, how often do I honor them? What do you think the scripture would say to that? Still honor them. It doesn't change. 
I still honor my parent, parents. My, my dad's in heaven, but my mom is still honoring her. If I don't honor her, that's not a good thing to the Lord. It's not like I stop honoring her. But the moment you become an adult, then um, your, your parents are not going to be what's next. Don't provoke fathers in particular. Don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Um, you honor them as long as they're honorable and as long as they're your parents. But um, when you become an adult and you live on your own, there has to be a letting go in a sense and trusting you that you've been trained up in the Lord enough to where you'll make the decisions that honor them by your lifestyle, whether or not they're asking it or not. You know. But this is interesting. Yeah? No problem. Oh, cool. Thanks. Thanks. Um, don't provoke. <laughs> don't laugh. That's rude. Anybody could have done that. It's all right. Um, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them, bring them up in the training of the Lord. It's interesting. I want you guys to note something. That word provoke, don't provoke your children. Um, to wrath, those the words for provoke and wrath are the same word. Okay, he's like basically fathers don't irritate, don't um, don't provoke anger with your children to make them provoking of anger in your children. It's like don't what don't pass on bad uh, patterns, basically, which have to do with provoking and irritation. And uh, so even as Paul's looking at fathers. He's like, you just don't own your kids. They're not just property. They're just not people that can help you get things done around the house. They're not just people to order around. But he's basically imploring fathers, father in a way that's tender. In fact, implied bring them up implies in the Greek a tender bringing up. Like you're doing, you're to do it tenderly where you're not provoking them because you're just irritating them. That, that word provoke is, there's two parts to it. Like the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is it's come alongside, the one who come alongside you. This is to come alongside, but to be the, doing the opposite of the Holy Spirit. You're not bringing comfort. You're just kind of poking in the wrong place. You're irritating, but you're walking alongside them as you do it. Um, and personally, this is where I get convicted because I, I, even last night, my wife can attest to this. Um, I just had to, to really apologize to my kids to say I've just, I am losing patience with you guys. And I'm sorry for what comes out of me when I lose my patience. And I, for one, thought I was extremely patient growing up. I just thought I, was, I had a gift of patience, you know. Um, and then the more and more I got older, I realized I didn't really have any kind of gift of patience. And when I got married, that was affirmed. And then when, when I started having kids, that was even more affirmed. And uh, my, my poor family has to, has to deal with me being sanctified that I'm not perfected yet in that way. And so my boys, you know, I just, I was really, even last night, just like, it is so hard not to do this. Like just to, just to have them, like to hold up a mirror sometimes and just say, do you realize how you're treating your dad or you're treating your mom or you're treating each other? I just want them to see clearly sometimes what that looks like. And it's like, that's not grace operating right at that moment. It's like, God does that to me. It's like, just look at how ugly you are right now. It's like, he doesn't do that. He operates out of grace. He doesn't provoke me to anger. He's slow to anger. And thus, that's my example. So my goals as a father, as much as I'd like them to be 
reflective of the Father, of my Heavenly Father. I, I just, to be honest with you, I fall way short. And even this morning, we had a heart-to-heart, to heart-to-heart, there's four of us, talk. Um, in the middle of it, I sent my six-year-old to his room because he couldn't maintain it. Um, so there was three of us, and then we brought him back, and he was able to sit down, and we were able to just continue our talk. But I, I had to apologize to them. And uh, one of the encouragements to you guys, uh, regardless of how your father provoked you or may have not provoked you, you know, there's, there's some horrible things that fathers have done to their kids. Some of them intentional, some of them not. But I would say that um, one of the main things you can do as a father to be godly is not be perfect. You won't do it. But what you will do is you can be quick to set a standard of, I'm here to apologize to you. I'm here to, to say I'm sorry. I'm here to humble myself before you. And I know that it's not all me, it's not all you. It's combined, we haven't been treating each other very well. And to me, if I can, if I can do that, at least I can go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, w- I want them to see that I'm not a, a master in this case or an order of the home without, without um, accessibility or being held by, accountable to those that I'm a father over. I want them to, I, in fact, I ask them for, for feedback. Come on, give me an idea of how I, I'm coming across to you so I can improve that. I pray that that's used by the Lord to bless them in my imperfection, in my quick-to-be-frustrated times. And it's usually right around 9 to 10, Wendy's at a show, and she's gone, and I'm trying to get him to go to bed. And I'm like, last night I was like, will you just go to bed? <laughs> and uh, and i just like, I'm losing it. And then I'm just like, I have to apologize to him. So I can't go back. I can't pretend it didn't happen. I can't be like a perfect dad all the time. But at least I can go back and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And, and help me. Pray for me. I asked him to pray for me, that I would be a good dad in those times of frustration. And, and we had a great talk. And they actually ended up apologizing to me, and, and we, we reconnected. So I, I'm, I'm sharing that with you just to say that there's a tender way to parent, and there's not a tender way to parent. And Lord willing, you'll be parents that are tender. You'll be parents that are accepting of feedback from your kids, that you won't be walking alongside them and just demanding things from them and, and the, all the while provoking them into anger as if a parent relationship is God-given so that the parents can just give a list of rules that the kids abide by. And if they do it well, then everything's cool. And if they don't, then, then they're, you, know, you really pay. And that, that can go all the way into abuse. So I'm living out this right now as, as we go through it. I didn't like to study that picture today because I was convicted already. But I am thankful that God is a father that I want to be like. You know, thank God that we have a father that is slow to anger. Can you imagine if I get this frustrated with my kids whom I dearly love, dearly love, then if, if without God's control over himself that he doesn't go off the handle when I'm frustrating to him, um, without a governor over that, for him to be perfect in that way, I mean, we'd all be toast. We'd be those, you know, like in the cartoons, we had lightning come down, and all that's left is that black spot, and there's smoke. That would be us. That would be us. Multiple times, you know, maybe 50 times just for one thing. But praise God, he's not like that. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He's forgiving. He's patient. All those things. It's almost too good to be true, but it's, it isn't. He, that's who he is. So he's just saying, fathers, be like that. Now, here's, the, here's a real cool thing. What, do you, what is the first word that it says in verse 5 in your version of the Bible? 
Okay, just a couple, one at a time. Tim? Servants. Servants. What what version is that? Uh, this is uh, New King James. New King James. Okay. Someone else over here. Slaves. Slaves. Okay. What version do you have? Uh, ESV. ESV. Okay. Over here. Anything different than that? Bond servants. Okay. So anybody have anything different than that? Probably not. Bond servant, servant, and slaves. In the Greek, this is a, in the whole Bible. This term, you have to know what it's about. You have to know. It's full of the gospel and full of our, our our relationship to God and His relationship to us. Bond servant is a good one. Slave is better. Slave is better. Slave is actually the term. It's called doulos in the Greek. Um, many of the translations that choose the word that's used all over Scripture um, that that do translate it servant. Um, I've heard other teachers put it this way, that the only reason they use servant instead of slave is because of the bad connotation slavery's had in our country, in our history, and, and, and many times over in human history. Slavery is just, it brings the wrong image to mind of, of an abusive type situation. And for us to be considered slaves to the Lord, or slaves to one another is just not something we want to look at. But really, it's the only thing, it's the only term, especially in the context of this day and age where over 6 million people were slaves in the time of the Roman Empire, that it was all over the place. And these weren't people that were just like, you know, let's get a, uh, let's get a union going and demand our rights from our masters. This is indentured servitude. This is, you, you owe a debt, you're my slave now. You're... you're you're born a slave, you're in slavery, that's all you know. Your masters, you're totally dependent upon them. This is a term we're given uh, as, as Christians. We are slaves of Jesus. But moreover, Jesus was the slave to his father. That everything Jesus did was at the will of his father. That's the goal that we have been given. Look at this. It says, doulos, be obedient. Slaves, be obedient. To those who you are, are your masters. Do you see how if you say servants, it's kind of like an optional, like, you know, a butler or somebody, you know, one with elevated privileges. It's not saying that. Why are we so confident in that? Because he's talking about your masters. He's like, slaves, be obedient to your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. How many rights do slaves have? None. Zippo. Your master says what you do, and you do it. And that, re- that really goes square in the face to uh, everything we hold dear as, as democratic Americans, right? I'm nobody's slave. I'm a free person. You know, in the New Testament, it talks about we're all one in Christ. There's no male or female, Greek, you know, or Jew, or whatever. Slave or free. Do you guys remember that? In a sense, we're, we're not slaves to God as in the sense of where we are children, but if you go through the scriptures, I guarantee if you look up the Greek word for the word servant as many times as it appears, especially in your New Testament, it's going to be doulos. And there, were no, it, there was only slavery, okay? There was only slavery in this time. Of, there wasn't like a servant like we would think. So I want you guys to remember, whenever you get across a, a pastor with a servant, pastor with a servant, I want you to remember slave. Because what it does is changes your those verses and makes it much more powerful, especially in terms of turn over like to Philippians um, with me real quick. Okay, Philippians, just the next book. Okay. 
go to uh, chapter 2. I just want to give you one example of this word in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a doulos, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient, obedient, in terms of slavery, okay? Being obedient to his master, his father, even to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Do you see? Everything Jesus did was to please his father. Everything we're called to do, our attitude be the same as Christ Jesus, is to say, God, I'm your slave. I don't have any rights. But what better master to have than the one that would say, I'm willing to die for my slaves. See, that's not, that's not the connotation when you think about even studying our own country in slavery. It was anything but that, right? So I have slaves that work for me, and no matter how I treat them, it's just how they treat them. In fact, in Roman times, you could kill your slave if you were so inclined to do so because of disobedience. Not many people did that because it was too valuable. When you had a slave, it was a precious commodity because you had so much at stake here. You wouldn't want to just kill the slave because then you'd lose all the benefit of having a slave so very few actually did that but it was their right to do that so he's basically saying even in the midst when you have a harsh master that's where paul's going with this um, he's like just don't be men pleasers or do hard work in front of your master who happens to look at you at a particular time do it all the time because you're not slaves of your master as much as you're slaves to god so you can apply that really clearly in your life can't you those of you who are working, those of you who are trying to do your best in your job, you, you, you know, what do we call our bosses and in, in, in generally just joking about it? They're slave master. It's like, praise God. Why? Because I want to please the Lord, my true master, as me, a slave, and say in my acknowledgement that I've relinquished my rights at the cross. I can't have any rights at the cross. I died. How do dead people have rights? You're resurrected to new life in Christ to be a servant of God. Yes, a servant, but more than that, a child. Where you can just say, my chains are gone, but I've been bought with a price and I now belong to this master who loves me so much that he gave his own son to die for me in my place. That's a master I want to have because he shows without a shadow of a doubt that we can trust him as a benevolent master who loves his children. So that's the difference. There's no fear. Perfect love casts out fear we're not fearing this master we're drawn to this master because he let one arm and the other arm go and bleed his blood for us everybody with me i want you to just in your time of reading when you come across that word servant change it to slave because it more than likely is doulos i had philippians 1 1 philippians 2 7 math math turn over to matthew 10 24 real quick just give you another example of this Uh, 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a what? Above his master. If your master was persecuted, the slaves are going to be persecuted. Why? Because you belong to the master. Makes sense, doesn't it? 
Uh, go to Colossians 4.1. Turn over to Colossians 4.1. Just is another one of Paul hitting the same thing as in Ephesians, where he just says basically straight out, masters. He knows slavery is everywhere. He didn't come to abolish it because it was just a system that was there. But what he says was, in the midst of this system, where you do have corrupt people in control of other people, he's just saying straight out, masters. When you come to Christ, you don't have any rights because now you're slave yourself. So he's saying, masters, give your bond servants or your slaves your doulos. What is just and fair, knowing you also have a master in heaven? Go to uh, Romans 6.16. Back and forth. Bobbing and weaving. Paul's talking about grace. And he's talking about, should we just continue, Paul, in, in, uh, in sin so that grace may abound? He, of course, you know, Starts off this amazing chapter with, of course not. We died to sin. How could we live any longer? But in, when he gets down to 16, he says, uh, do you not know? Or what shall we say then? Verse 15, shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You see, it's a lot easier for us to talk about slavery in terms of slavery to sin or righteousness than it is slave to master in a personal relationship type thing. So you come out the same place. If you're a, sin, if you're a sinner and you don't have Christ, you're a slave, a doulos, to sin. You have no choice but to serve that master. When Christ came and rescued you, he gave you a new master, one that released you to live life and that abundantly. Last one, let's go to... Um, Revelation 22.3. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on the other side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his what? Dulos shall serve him for all eternity. We're going to be privileged to be God's slaves. Privileged. Why? Because the Master is so, so good. Women that are married to godly men, they're privileged to be submissive to those men. Same thing. When you have somebody good at the helm, it's not that difficult to submit to them. So that's what Paul would be saying. He's like, we're slaves. We're slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. Praise God, we're slaves to him. So if you're a master on an earthly level, if you're an employer, if you happen to have employees, if you happen to have uh, people under you on projects that you're trying to contribute to, how do you treat them? That would be our application. Are you treating them? as you would just kind of serfs to your kingdom? Or are you treating them with utmost respect and love and service yourself? Being like Christ and coming under them to serve them as best you can. You know, you don't, you don't step up in the kingdom, right? Step down. Greatest in the kingdom is what? A slave, Jesus would say. You with me? Amazing. Amazing. I love this part of Scripture. Finally, be, in verse 10, back in Ephesians 6, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and... 
in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So he's basically saying, don't be strong in your own thing. He's going to go into the, the armor. It's not meant for us to kind of just run kamikaze and just go, I'm going to get them all. You know, I got the armor on. I'm going to go take out the spiritual forces of darkness. So I, now let me just set the stage for this. You can go in the power of the Lord. You're going to be in his strength. Be strong in him. You're going to have armor, yes, but you're going to be in the Lord, and that's the best, safest, most blessed place, place to be. Be in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. That's where the strength comes from through this life. But he's like, you have a job to do. You've got to put it on. You've got to put it on. If he's telling you to put it on, and he's looking at a Roman soldier, possibly right next chain to him. You know, Paul's just like looking at the guy next to him and saying, yeah, that pretty much fits what God's given us. And he's kind of looking up down to his feet, up to his helmet. It's like there's a purpose for each of those pieces of armor, isn't there, for a Roman soldier? There's a purpose for each and every one of them. And he's like, you know what? That matches spiritually. You have a choice as a soldier to put your armor on before you go into battle. If you don't, how foolish is that? Well, the reality is we live in a continual battle, and Paul wants us to know for sure what that battle is and who it's against. It's not against other people. It's not against the people that frustrate you. It's not against the people that would curse you or belittle you because you have faith in Christ. It's not the Islamic people. It's not the such and such in India and the caste system there. Although those are wicked schemes, it's set up by principalities behind the scenes in the heavenly realms. Not the people that are subject to slavery still. Okay? So... We find ourselves welling up with frustration or hatred towards people. We've missed the boat. Our, 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 our adversary is not other people that are blinded to the reality of the gospel. Those are not our enemy. The enemy is the ones who's blinding the people and working to bring about uh, keeping those people away from God in true deliverance, freedom from their slavery to sin. So he's just basically saying when you go out to battle, remember who you're battling and remember what armor you need to put on. You know, so basically, who are you battling? You're battling spiritual forces. The devil is not omnipresent. Okay, he's not omniscient. He doesn't match God. It's not toe to toe, MMA fight in a cage where it's Jesus and the devil, and they're kind of you know, it's God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. Satan's created. Um, he's only in one place at one time. He doesn't know your thoughts inside and out. He can't go. In and out. He may have more uh, accessibility to patterns of behavior and those kind of things. And he may have spiritual things like he can understand what tendencies you may have. But he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. But he definitely has an organized system of principalities and powers at work with him. Being demons, being those things that are set up in, in conjunction with another. So he's very good at system, systematically attacking the church in all its locations. But we can't get like, uh, you know overzealous that you know every around every other rock or under every other rock is an attack from satan not necessarily so but paul would say when you go to battle when you're living this life you are in a battle that's for sure so don't go out without your armor on he basically starts listing what those armors are those pieces are girded with truth you know the truth around your waist the belt for um i tucked in my shirt for purposes of demonstration tonight um the belt actually kept other places, uh, other parts of the armor together. 
in place. Okay? Your truth keeps us with everything else in operation. If you're off with the truth, you're off with your armor. doesn't matter. It also held the sword, didn't it? The belt hold, held the sword. And it was a smaller sword. It wasn't a bigger sword. It was a smaller sword, more like a you know, close infighting. That's the word of God. Okay, your breastplate of righteousness comes from just knowing who you are in Christ. That, that You have righteousness imputed to your account. It's not what you're earning. The devil comes and says, or one of his dominion just kind of whispers quietly, just like, you are the worst Christian ever. You can't go to church today. You are such a hypocrite. Those kind of things. You need, you need your breastplate of righteousness, don't you, in those times, especially to say, I'm in Christ and I'm accepted in the beloved. You're just taking that belt and you're like, this is the truth in response to that lie. And the righteousness is shield me, one, from God, his wrath, but more, moreover, from attacks of the enemy. Um, the sheet, the shod with the readiness of the gospel. In, in a Roman, you guys know this, where the Romans had um, parts to their, part of the bottom of their um, boots, their sandals, where you could dig in, kind of like cleats. You know, I played baseball, so you can dig in in the box. You get some good uh, readiness for that. He's basically saying you need to be ready in season, out of season, to, to go to battle, to be in battle. You don't just kind of wake up and kind of meander and say, hey, uh, what should I do today? I don't know. Let's, let's get into trouble. All right. You know, that kind of thing. You, just, you want to be ready. You want to be planted. And he's like, when everything's said and done, you should still be standing in Christ. You have everything and all the power available to you to stand in Christ. There's no temptation that's overtaken you. Be ready with the gospel. You're ready with that, okay? The helmet of what? Salvation. How does that come in? What does the helmet protect? Your noggin. Your noggin, right? It's important. Your head goes down, everything else goes down. Helmet of salvation. You're heading somewhere. You're, you're sealed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is sealed. You have a destination to be in, at the very throne of God, worshiping Him. devil can't pluck you out of His hand. He can't take you and say, well, you committed that sin. Game over. You belong to me now. No. You are saved. Not from yourself, because Paul just went through this, went to great lengths to make sure that you know it's not of yourself. So don't boast. And you don't go worrying day in, day out. Am I still saved? Like, yes, you are still saved. That's the helmet. You're putting it on so you're not susceptible to schemes and believing lies. Satan, another word for him, or another description of him, is the father of lies. The only way you're going to take him down is to have those armor on, protection. Now, this is really cool. Shield of faith. It says every flaming arrow, every arrow that's lit on fire, kind of like Lord of the Rings, you know, you're going to go over the wall, you're going to hit one, you want him to burn something, you're going to light on fire and then shoot it, right? He's basically saying with the shield of faith, not mustered up faith that you can produce in your own level, but God giving faith to you that you enjoy and that you know what's true. He's like, you have a shield, it's defensive weapon and it helps all those other things be protected as well. In other words, it's not like you're just going to go, here's a flaming arrow, let me hit it with my helmet. You're going to put up your shield of faith. Now, the really cool thing about this is the Romans, uh, their shields were somewhere around four, to, four by two feet. They're kind of big, made of wood, covered with leather. And the uh, way they designed them was really clever. They could interlock. So you brought your shield, I brought my shield, we lined up, and we could literally march like a, a moving wall going forward together in strength in numbers as we're, our shields are interlocked. You get those pictures where you could put them on top, you could put them in front of you, and then you just march. Man, really cool. He's looking at this, and he's like, you know, this battle is not a solo one. 
This battle is you and me together is a lot better than just me. Your shield behind me and my shield in front of you and shield up here. And we're all like, you know, encouraging each other in the faith. It's just like we're, we're there encouraging one another in this battle. And that's why things like this is so important that we could grow in the knowledge of the Lord. We could grow in the faith of the Lord. We could grow in the understanding of the gospel. But then we can go through life really encouraging one another as we get injured and help each other really kind of continue in that strength of the Lord. Saying, you have been saved, brother, sister. You have a destination with Christ. You're going to be. You're going to have the, the the illumination that Paul prayed for you. The the understanding of of, of um, your riches and inheritance in the saints. Your understanding of the power that's working you. The same power that Christ was raised from the dead with. You know that we're helping each other, just like interlocking shields, the shields of faith. Isn't that a cool image? Just like man, Paul's like, it's better to be together as a, as a body of Christ. And we're not going to go out and kind of just with our swords and just start beating people and cutting off ears like Peter did. We're going to go out. We're going to pray. We're going to go out. We're going to serve. We're going to go out. We're going to bless. We're going to go out. We're going to have shields of faith up and we're going to go forth in victory that Christ has already purchased for us. Isn't that amazing? That's what you've been called to. And, uh, and that's what Paul's just saying. He's like, don't go without your armor. And better yet, go out together. That's why it's so, so damaging when the, when the body of Christ is divided. And guess what the main thing, main target for the enemy is, is to divide and conquer. Get us at each other. Why? Shields go down. Why? Helmets are left up behind them without us taking them on. Why? You know, X, Y, and Z. Everybody with me? So, do it together. Okay. Um, last thing. Verse 19. And for me, he's like... Uh, wrapping all this together, 17 rather, is you're praying always. You're praying always. You're it's, it's the energy, it's the lifeblood, it's, it's in a sense another weapon um, that we use. He's like, pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Why? Because it's spiritual forces that are we're enraged against us and we're in battle with. He's like, go to battle to the Lord, lift up your prayers to the Lord and do that. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. In other words, being watchful. And, and going to battle in prayer. And for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now this is really encouraging to me and I'll tell you why. It should be encouraging to you. Is I think Paul was just saying and admitting straight out, I need help. I need power. I need God to not let me cower when I really need to not cower. Because you think of all the things that Paul went through and we kind of elevate Paul to the super Christian level and we're like, I could never get there. I mean, I, I, I'm fearful of dying. I'm fearful of just suffering. I'm, I'm, I just, when something comes up about Christ, I don't speak up that boldly in the midst of coworkers or friends or family. You know, you just may feel like I'm a weaker Christian. You're like, I could never be like Paul. I think Paul just knew he was really dependent in a lot of ways on the prayers of the saints. That he wasn't just going and everybody else was following, trying to attain the Paul level. He was going in the power of God, knowing I'm dependent upon the body of Christ, really supporting me through prayer. Because if they don't pray for me, I'm susceptible to cowering in the, te- in the face of temptation to do so. And so what it encourages me to do is just to say, I'm just like Paul. I need your prayers. You guys need my prayers. We're in this together. I don't want to cower. I don't want you to cower. I don't want us to fail. I don't want us to get derailed. I don't want us to succumb to the sin and the trappings they're in. And us kind of getting over the side of the road instead of right marching down the middle of it. We need each other. 
And Paul is just saying, hey, I need your prayers, guys. I need you to pray specifically that I would be bold. And ultimately, Paul cost him his life. Cost him his life. And that's the ultimate need for prayer, right? To be bold to the point of your own demise, where you're saying, I'd rather die than to forsake my Jesus. And, and I need your prayers to get there. I'm not there in my flesh by any means. Neither are you guys. But to, you know, together as we lift up each other and we pray for each other. And God, would you just empower my brother and my sister to speak boldly, to live a life for you, to live in the freedom of the gospel, which we've lived or le- learned about in the last eight weeks. Man, we need each other in our prayers. Amen to that. Amen to that. None of us are above that. So, so peace, love, faith, grace be with you all. All those who love the Lord with Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen, Paul. That's what we can say. So thus, we, we close the book on that letter. And we um, never let Ephesians get too far away from you, okay?